Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. My guest today, Shanae Abumike, WNBA star with the Connecticut Sun, All-American at Stanford, and an analyst, an NBA analyst for ESPN. We talk a lot of NBA, a lot of Warriors, and we talk about the pending collective bargaining agreement facing the WNBA. Great visit, great talk about hoops with one of my favorites. Here's my visit with Shanae Abumike. Here with Chene Ogumike, WNBA star with the Connecticut Sun, ESPN, NBA analyst. You have like four or five other jobs too, right? What am I missing? WNBPA vice president. Oh, that's a job. That's true. Especially that's a job That now. is a big job right now. Well, thanks for having me. Well, Chene, it's uh, great to finally have you here on the pod. We're going to get to the WNBA, CBA, but I want to start with the Warriors and what's going on here in this last week. And it's been what everybody's been waiting for with Golden State, which is, and I think it's funny, Bob Myers, he has said it certainly privately, and he said it publicly the other day. He said, this is not a perfect place. And I know some people thought it was or think it is. It isn't. And it reminds me of, and Steve Kerr alluded to this, Chene, in San Antonio all those years, where people thought it was this utopia and that, they didn't have controversies. They didn't have issues in the locker room. And no, they did. But what they had was Tim Duncan to police it all. And it's not the coach. It's almost never the coach. It's not Greg Popovich and it's not Steve Kerr. When they had issues in San Antonio, they would always tell you, Tim Duncan took care of them in the locker room. They never got out. They mostly never got in the media. This one with Draymond Green and Kevin Durant, it got out because it happened in front of 20,000 people, a national TV audience. But I I just think it's a reminder that it is fragile. It is hard to keep a team going. It is hard to keep, even when everybody has the best intentions and has the talent they have, it's still really hard to do this. People forget that athletes are together 24-7. And during the course of a long season like the NBA, you're together for most of the year. You're rehabbing, you're practicing, you're playing games, you're traveling. It's a lot. It's a lot. I know this from my experience playing in the WNBA, also playing overseas, doing that 24-7. But I think you hit on a really interesting point. Tim Duncan was the diffuser. He was the president. He was the politician. He was the handler of all. He was like Ianla, fix my life, right? (laughs) People would come to him and he would fix their lives and keep them positive and protect things, right? The issue here is that for so long, I feel like everyone believes Draymond Green was the heart and soul of the Warriors. And he was the vocal leader. He was on the floor, on the court leader, making all the small plays that happen. But when he's in the center of an altercation, a controversy, who do you turn to? Steph wasn't on the court. And he's sort of like the ultimate peacemaker. But he's also, Steph and Clay are kind of, you know, I feel like in this situation, out of it. And when you have these type of altercations between KD and Draymond, who's checking both of them? And I feel like it has to be Steph. Because at the end of the day, from day one, this is Steph's team, right? And I think that's why they brought him on the road. Even though he's out for 10 days or so, his value in being there and being the guy, kind of guy that we all know him to be, the uplifter, is going to help. But yeah, the big issue for me is is Draymond was the heart and soul, quote-unquote, the vocal leader, of the team, and when that person is caught up in something, 
who's going to emerge and settle things, and there's no Tim Duncan here, right? Yeah, and I think, too, the one thing about Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, and somebody in Golden State made this point to me, and I thought it was a really good – they grew up in the NBA. They grew up around the NBA. They've been in NBA locker rooms their whole life. And they become, I think, a little more so than some other guys, they're a little desensitized to, you know – the, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the stuff that goes on around it, the yep, the noise, the pettiness that might be going on, or the gossiping in a locker room, or the you know some dust up that might last for two or three weeks between two guys and ends over. And on that's, top of that, that's not their personality as human beings. That's that's exactly right. And, and so, but the one thing with those two, and people in Golden State have seen this come out in the last several days, they're not going to pay attention to any of it. They don't get involved in any of it. They're sometimes very oblivious to it even going on around them. But if somebody gets in the way of winning, if something gets in the way of winning, that's where you're going to hear from Steph Curry, and that's where you're going to hear from Clay Thompson. Andre Iguodala is a player with the – been described to me, the two other players who have the stature to mm-hmm. even have an opinion about this in the locker room or to have a voice, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston. Yeah, a respected Sean, voice. Yeah, you know, and Andre's obviously been – you know, been a, a, a great player for them. Sean's a very just respected veteran player. And so the fact that those two, it was going to make it harder for this to derail this team because of, uh, certainly it's got the attention of Steph and, and Clay, but this is something that, like, because they just care about winning. And they've shown that. And in the end, that's really what Draymond cares about. Like, Draymond will cross the line, he'll dance over it, but then like, <laughs> He's going to come back. Like, yes, which we saw. Because that's who he is. That's, that's what he said court. yesterday yeah. pregame. Because that pregame, that was a lot of restraint for Draymond Green. Because I know what he – For we, sure. You know him well. There was a lot he wanted to say and he was dying to. And he may yet say again, but he knew that wasn't the day to do it. So I first met Draymond Green when I was playing on the World University Games. And this was a crash course in getting to know everyone because when you play and represent the country for USA and World University Games, you train for a month in Colorado Springs and you go and compete for a month. And we were in China. And so – we were there, my sister and I, my sister also plays um, in the WNBA and a whole bunch of top players on both ends. We were there. We got to know a lot of these guys. And Draymond was 100% consistent. He's the same Draymond you saw there when we were, what, 20, 21 to the same Draymond you see right now. And he will cross that line and he will challenge you. But it all comes to me from a place of loyalty. And in this instance, I feel like if Draymond sends some sort of weakness, he will attack that weakness. That's right. That's right. And that's what he does. And he does it to a fault. And I think for and him gonna, to, And yeah. he's going to go to your most – we all have a friend. Who he's a goes, professional at this. Right, right. I mean, <laughs> he's going to go from zero to 100. Okay. You're going to say, hey, your shoe's untied. Hey, I've always hated you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and and that, he will but, hit you where the right, soul hurts. That's right. And his, and that's what he did in that moment. He did. And I think he's able to walk it back. For me, knowing him, for him to actually come out and say, hey, we're moving forward, that is a big gesture. That's a big gesture. For KD to after that sort of said, I'm not talking about it after, I was like, ugh, I feel like it regressed. The yeah. whole momentum of the locker room, us getting better. And I was watching the game against the Rockets in the huge blowout. And everyone's talking about how great it is for the Rockets and how bad it is for the Warriors. But there was a key moment in the third quarter, and I always bring this up, where Draymond was pushing in transition. 
He lost the ball, turned it over. I think it was a carry. KD was the recipient, supposedly, mm-hmm. like he was supposed right. to be. Very similar incident to what caused this whole drama, right? But right after, they dapped each other and they kept moving forward. And even running back in transition, KD said, that's my, I mean, uh, Draymond said, that's my fault. I was like, oh, wow. And I keep saying that's the real love language of athletes right there. But no one, I don't know. It's reading into a yeah. one play, one situation. But I do think that there's, there's going to be hope. But again, this is something that is not a short-term issue, as you mentioned, when it comes to winning, because everyone cares about winning and they need to find a way back on the winning path, especially without stuff. Um, but long term, these are the things that are like elephants in, in the room, the stuff that stays in the back of your head so that when you do make a decision long term as a player, you're like, mm, am I good? Do we do enough? Am I happy? And I don't like that they've created this scenario that has just ballooned out of control that we can point back to and say, this is why you remember this, right? Yeah. And I think for Draymond, his path to becoming an all-star in the league, in his mind, he's always going to be the second round pick. He's going to be the guy that everybody passed on. He's going to be the guy who stayed in college for years, which is treated like you're a failure in college basketball. True. If you're back for your senior year, it means you're not a pro prospect. That's how it's viewed. Mm-hmm. It's not always certainly true. And he proved that. And so I think he's extra sensitive to, hey, I've earned my way into this echelon. And I know I'm not Kevin Durant. And I know I'm not Steph Curry because in the end, people mostly value scoring. For everything Draymond does, this game, this sport mostly values it's big true. scoring. And so that's a different echelon, but he does something that's so unique and he has shown what its value is in winning. And it's had a huge impact in building the identity that the identity is a really good defensive team they've been through this era has largely been built through him and his identity. And so all those things. And so in that moment where he felt like, Kevin Durant was treating him like a scrub, was treating him like a rookie. That's the extra layer of him going at Kevin. And you see, that's probably why he's appealing the suspension. Because it's sort of like Golden State made a decision, hey, we're going to penalize our day one for our new guy who we don't even know what his decision is in the long term. And to Draymond, that probably seems offensive, but it's also a pretty chunk of change because I feel like it was, it was over a hundred grand. So I would appeal that. And, and, <laughs> and, and, but here's also the thing too. Like they don't have to take that fine. They can do the suspension and no one will ever know if they find them. Like it can be between the team and Draymond. Exactly. So yes, they suspended them and yes, the 120,000 comes with it, but. It's not a league suspension where the money just gets taken out. The team, it's different. And so they have to come collect. They can treat it differently. Now they may, I think too, and people are looking, and there's no question, and I think Golden State knew what the optics would be. We picked Kevin Durant over Draymond. Yes. But that's assuming that if this had happened between Draymond and Iguodala, that the organization might not have done the same thing, or Draymond and Sean Livingston. I think it was because... It was on the court and it was in public and it was for everybody to see. It would have been treated differently if it was somewhere else. But I think they made a determination. He said things you just can't say to, we don't want anybody saying to anybody here. And the one thing too people will talk about is that, well, Draymond does this all the time. He's always going off on people. And I think the people around there say, no, he's not. That's <laughs> not the, the only other comparison that anybody there would make to was the Steve Kerr in the locker room in Oklahoma City. Which, looking back, maybe they should have suspended him. Maybe they should have. Doing that with your coach in front of everybody. The difference was, in that moment, the coach is going to be like, I want to move past this with my player. I don't want him to think I'm responsible for him getting suspended. 
what we probably don't know fully yet is if Kevin had gone, if Kevin Durant had gone back to them in the aftermath of this and said, guys, if you suspend Draymond, I'm going to take more crap for this. It's going to look like I wanted this. I don't want that on me. Don't suspend them because it's going to create what's been created. I don't know if Kevin went to them and said, I don't know if Kevin gave them even an opinion about that. But I do wonder if Kevin said absolutely positively, do not suspend them. And Monday night in the press conference, when they asked about suspension, Kevin could have said, hey, I wasn't for this or I wish they didn't do it. He didn't say any of that. And everyone tends to sometimes blame the media. Like, why are we asking these questions, provoking these athletes? As an athlete and a member of the media, I understand now the struggle, right? Because you have a responsibility to continue reporting on something and getting information. And players can obviously be fed up, right? But I feel like at the end of the day, the onus is on the athlete. So if you want the storyline to continue, you don't say anything at all. Like you have the ability to just straight up shut it down and really move your locker room forward. But we didn't really get that from Kevin, but I hope that we get that soon. Yeah. It's, and it's the rest of the league is fascinated by this. And of course the question like you get from everybody, like, is this real? And I think people now have seen, I think in the first day when we reported the story that morning, you know, a lot of what I got was, well, is this real? Is it just something that just happens all the time? And, like, you know, Mark Spears and I knew that day when report, like, I hear of things in locker rooms, we all do very often. And you have to be able to differentiate what's just normal. Yes. Like a couple people going at it in practice that doesn't have any, there's no consequences or ramifications of it. That happens all the time. We could write about it almost every day. I've seen you having to make these decisions, Woj. I remember when Spurs, the issues were happening with Kawhi, and you were back and forth, you know, trying to make sure you follow the fine line. But I agree. I completely agree because this could be a legitimate crack in the foundation. This could be an incident that you can point to and say, in the future, this is why this happened. There was a genuine um, beef between players that was not solved throughout the course of the season. And and the fact that the team had to – they were meeting about it. They were talking with the players. They were going back through it. There was a possibility for punishment. They said, well, it's a story. Now it's a story. Yeah. I mean, because they're treating it that seriously. They, they're they not just dismissing this. And, and obviously they suspended And, and this this does happen at this level. Now, there's a huge magnitude when you're the Golden State Warriors. And there was little magnitude when my team, the Connecticut Sun, had an altercation. We had a real, like I'm talking about real, real altercation on our team this year. And um, they talked to each player. They evaluated. We went one and three on the road. We won by a game winner. So this was affecting our locker room. And at the end, we decided to trade away a player because it couldn't get solved. We still one we're still professionals but at the end of the day you know these things do happen and they have serious consequences we lost a player due to an altercation that happened so for me when i'm watching this happen i was like you know what these things can build and boil over and create some kind of resentment um but at the end of the day i feel like the warriors they're they're still the warriors they're still going to figure things out they're still going to turn it on when it comes to march they have a margin of error that nobody else has like they don't have to be at their best to win and if anyone's going to beat them, they're going to have to be at their very best. And they can be four quarters. Le- they can be less than their best to get through a series. They, it's true. When they beat Houston last year in seven games, like you felt like they were not at their best. They weren't nearly at their best. And still, even without Chris Paul, they still were messing around. And in game seven, so they, true. It was really a dangerous. I mean, think of how different all of this could be. If they don't get out of that game seven, does Durant even stay? It gets better. There's always these ifs. And even you know, the two, series two, when with the Spurs when Kawhi went down, like they weren't playing their best. Right. I and, think uh, the Spurs stole game one or something. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And they were up 20. Must be nice. <laughs> 
Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by Policy Genius. Life insurance isn't the most enjoyable thing to think about. Of course, most people don't like thinking about dying. But actually, having life insurance is a really good feeling. It's nice to know that if anything were to happen to you, your family won't have to start a GoFundMe to stay afloat. That's why Policy Genius is the easy way to get life insurance online. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find the best policy for you. And when you compare quotes, you save money. It's that simple. Policy Genius has helped over 4 million people shop for insurance and place over $20 billion in coverage. And they don't just make life insurance easy. They also compare disability insurance, auto insurance, and home insurance. If you care about it, they can cover it. So if you've been avoiding getting life insurance because it's difficult or confusing, give Policy Genius a try. Just go to policygenius.com, get your quotes, and apply in minutes. You can do the whole thing on your phone right now. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Today's episode of the WojPod is also brought to you by Sonos. Meet Sonos Beam, the smart, compact soundbar for your TV and newest addition to the easy-to-use home sound system. Play everything you love. Enjoy music, radio, movies, TV, podcasts, and a lot more. Sonos supports over a 100 different streaming services. You can use AirPlay to enjoy sound from your iPhone or iPad on Beam. It has brilliantly clear sound, and Beam fills the room with rich sound. Enjoy deep bass and detailed stereo separation for music, plus crystal clear dialogue for TV and movies. It's easy to set up. Beam connects to your TV with just one cord and syncs with your existing remote. The Sonos app walks you through setup step-by-step. Amazon Alexa is built in. Get hands-free control of your music and more. Start a playlist, skip tracks, and pause simply by asking out loud. Use your voice to turn the TV on or off and adjust the volume. You can also play games, set reminders, and check the news. Connect Sonos speakers over Wi-Fi anytime. Put speakers in different rooms and listen to music in one and a podcast in another. Or send sound from your TV everywhere so you never miss a second of the action. Create the ultimate entertainment system when you pair Beam with a Sub and two Sonos Ones for truly immersive surround sound. For me, the ability to watch multiple games, listen, do it in every room, it's perfect. Sonos speakers are easy to set up, but if you don't want to bother, we'll send someone to do it for you. If you live in any major metropolitan area, Up and Running will have a Sonos expert deliver and set up your system, and we'll do it absolutely free. Just order from Sonos.com and select Up and Running at checkout if you qualify. Hey, let me ask you this, Shanae, about teams and talking. And I hear this a lot from coaches, and I imagine it's probably true in the women's game too. It used to be when players were on the bus and in the locker room and on planes and in airports, like everyone was talking. You talked. You talked. People got to know each other. You talked through issues. And now we're in a world where everyone just, you know, they have their iPhone, they have their music, they have their earbuds in, they have, and coaches will notice like on the bus who've been in different eras of how like they don't hear as much anymore, guys talking basketball, talking through things. It's just everybody is off in their own separate world. 
and that communication is not what it once was. Do you, do you see that? A hundred percent. I think on teams, people, I always say people have their people. So you have one or two people that are your people that help you through situations you go to, you turn to, but it's not necessarily those good old days when we were all starting to play AAU. And I always, and I'm like this bigger conspiracy theorist, but I think it's actually more factual in the sense that technology has changed the game on a crazy level. Young players, uh, when I started playing basketball and I'm not like (laughs) too old, but when I started playing basketball, I learned from my coach. So I go to practice three days a week. My coach would teach me the moves. We weren't watching YouTube. Now young kids are watching YouTube, so they don't need those intermediaries, the coaches, to teach them the game. They can watch stuff. You know, they can watch Clay. Um, they can watch LeBron. They can go to a tutorial. They have so many programs where technology is there. That's where you learn the game, right? You're removing a lot of strings that are have been so involved with communication, respect for the game with coaches, with individuals and stuff. Why does my teammate need to show me how they learned how to dribble? I can learn it by myself. That's technology on the most basic level that has affected, you know, the new nature of the game. So when it comes to these, um, you know, situations, it's true. When you have a team and there's uh, a player, they can be isolated. They could go to practice, do their thing, be gone. And if there's an issue... Maybe you don't even deal with it because that's just not what we do anymore. Um, we're not interacting as much. Even though we're together a lot, yeah. you don't interact and, and, nearly and as, as much. And for as much as basketball really should be and, and is the ultimate, it's a team game and, and you need, there's nowhere to, you play offense and defense. You can't, there's no designated hitter. There's nowhere to hide if you can't defend your position or <laughs> if you can't, if you can't run and put you at a position in baseball where you, whatever. Yep. Everything's built around individual workouts and everyone's got an individual workout coach and everything yep. is isolated in a silo. Like, and I would say with my son would like travel basketball, like they would all do their individual workout. They'd get on the gun and they would do all that stuff. But like, is anybody going to go play five on five? Right. <laughs> like, because that's where you can, but, but you learn, you learn whether it's five on five and we've kind of been through a lot, but, but it's, I think it's harder than ever to sell and buy Team into. Building. And pitch the team. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's funny. And there's okay. The con is your communication is lacking because of our own world, our own technology, our own brands that we're considered about. Right? Uh, we're considering constantly. But the pros is we're seeing athletes do things we've never seen before with scoring, with the evolution Skill of the game. Skill levels never been better. Yes, it's there's never been, a benefit, been better. There's been a benefit. A hundred percent. That's yeah. the main benefit. But the the con is that. On teams, it's not necessarily all about the team. Like you're focused on your own individual work and growth and development more so. Um, but that's what's the beauty of the Warriors for so long. They've been perfect. They've had high level skill and high level team camaraderie. But now that dynamic has sort of changed for a moment. What's the best team dynamic that you've ever been a part of in basketball? What was the best team dynamic? The best team dynamic have to be, I guess, um, when I was at Stanford. Went to three Final Fours, played with my big sis, and my first coach was my big sis. <clears throat> we have a Hall of Fame coach, Tara Vanderveer. Amazing. Yeah. To this day, she'll say that NECA was my first coach because when I came in as a freshman, my older sister was two years older than me. NECA, NECA dogged me. She wanted me to play so bad. She wanted us to have these memories of playing together. She was all me. And I really am grateful for that because we had two amazing years in which, you know, we sort of redefined I guess you can say what it was to be a Stanford student athlete, like being a nerd, but also being cool and swag. And again, this was a time at Stanford when our athlete athletics was popping. Andrew Luck, 
um, number one in the NFL. Uh, we had Sherm, we, who was, I think he was a fifth year senior, senior Doug Baldwin. So football was going. Mark Appel went number one to the MLB. My sister went number one to the, uh, the WNBA. We had a girl named Ashley Hansen that went number one in softball. So this was this prime peak period at like Stanford. At Stanford where like every single person and whatever they're doing is the best, like the best piano, the best 100%. musician is there, the best science student is there, the best future physicist is there. Like is everybody yeah, and as athletes, we feel like we're doing nothing. So I can mention Richard Sherman, my sister, Mark Appel, the best of the best athletes, and we feel like we are not doing anything major. I remember when I went to my freshman dorm, the first night I was there, I heard a door slam. And you know me, I'm shook because it's freshman dorm. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let me make sure everything's good. Pop my head out, and I see uh, one of my doormates in a suit, and this was probably 2 a.m., heading to go do a conference call with the China with China because he has a company, and he had to make sure he didn't miss his meeting. I was like, this is a freshman. <laughs> I was like, yo, I got to step my game up out here. So it's so funny. I always say like all I did was put a ball in a basket while everyone at Stanford was out here changing the world. But I think as athletes, that energy is contagious. So we use our platforms in unique ways and we use our voices. But yeah, we're part of this like camaraderie. And I think it's a special thing because when you – that's where I learned honestly that what you do on the court is great. But what you do off the court is what really matters. And as – a team off the court at Stanford, our, our women's basketball team, we were very tight and we were bound to the community doing a lot of community work. And we went through some things, you know, back in the day where they didn't check how many su- suicides you ran. Right. Uh, <laughs> so um, that was a special year for me, my freshman and sophomore year where I got to play with my sister. We went to two final fours. We lost uh, to UConn, I think, and somebody else. Oh, Texas A&M. I don't know if you guys remember that we lost on a buzzer. That's when A&M won their championship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So those were special years for me because and, and and I always talk about basketball with my sister because basketball has always been a family thing for us. We started together. We went through it together. We were horrible together. Uh, won a championship in Houston, a uh, state title there, and then went to Stanford together. So basketball is all about family. So um, Stanford really was the first real family setting I had on the court where I treated everyone like my sister. And um, we went through it, and it set us up pretty well, you know, to be prepared for the next level. You visited UConn when you were in high school, and I imagine – you probably never thought, well, I'm never going to be in Connecticut. And now <laughs> oh you, my gosh. Right now you, you, you're drafted, but you're, well, you play for the Sun. So you're here. I'm going to play here. And of course, ESPN, you're here as a full-time analyst now, even during the season. I saw you All-Star Weekend, which is in the middle. No, it was Vegas Summer League. Yes. Which was in the middle of your season. Yes. And I see you in the gym and I'm like, hey, Trey, what's up? And I'm going, Wait, a minute, what are you doing here? Like, like, aren't you guys on like a West Coast trip? Like, you're like, you came we over are. to do summer league hey, for a day. Hey, you want to know something funny? That was the middle of our trip where our, we had our team altercation. So it was like really crazy because that's when we went one and three. But yeah, we played the Phoenix Mercury the day previous. I took an early 5 a.m. flight to make it to summer league to do the jump, which was so much fun. Then I went to video and then practiced and then we played Vegas, uh, the day after. Oh, okay. You were playing. We were playing Vegas. So it makes sense, but it was perfect. A little, you know, know, combination. I I know, but you can't. So. Now you're here all the time because you're in Bristol. You're your, right. Your I didn't team. even think about that, like how I but, thought but I'd you, never be here. <laughs> but like no one says no to Gino Ariema. I mean, I really wonder what the percentage of of, you're right. of young women who visit UConn, if you go on that visit, I'm one I can't imagine there's very many who said, no, I'm going somewhere else. So the funny thing is that was my one visit that I, my parents didn't make because they were working. And so I go to UConn by myself. Stephanie Dolson's there, Bria Hartley's there, I believe Kalina Mosquito Lewis is there, and these are all top women's basketball recruits. And so I'm on this amazing trip. Tina Charles is my um, host. We're having a great time. 
And so the final thing that Coach Gino does is before you leave, before everyone's flights are out, like he blocks out a little hour. And so we all line up. So it's Steph, Bria, Kalina, me sitting against the wall one by one. Steph walks in. You know, a couple minutes later, she walks out smiling, parent tucking. All right, she's coming to you. (laughs) Kalina goes in there, walks in. Oh, walks out. Yeah. You know, smiling, hugging. Okay, she's going in. I'm like starting to sweat because I can't make any decision by myself without my parents. Like, I got to at least get their co-sign. And at this point, your sister's at Stanford. Yes, my sister's at Stanford. So I went to Stanford. I went to Notre Dame and UConn was my final visit. And then finally, my turn comes up and I go in there and he's sitting at his office in his desk. Like, and it's almost presidential, huge desk, huge seat. You know, not so big of a man, but he's got a big <laughs> legacy. And then all the trophies behind him just domineering. And I sit down. I'm like, oh, snap. Door closes. So are you coming? And I'm like, oh, my God. I don't, like, I how, how do I say no? How do I say no? Well, I still did. I was like, I can't. My parents, I can't make a decision. Um, it was the hardest thing. Was I, it really so are you coming? Yeah, that's it. That was straight. So are you coming? And I was like. That's it. Just one line. And I feel like you understand the power. Right. You know, you have this opportunity and what he's, you're staring at the trophies and the championships and you can be a part of that. And so how do you not say yes? Well, I just blame my parents. I'm like, yo, man, I can't do this. I can't take a phone call and say, Hey mom, I'd made this decision all by myself. Um, but he's still a great guy. I, I gravitated toward his personality. Um, we sort of like, you know, confident, edgy type of people. And to this day, I just saw him uh, not too long ago on campus. Uh, he's real supportive. He comes to our Connecticut Sun games. But I know in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, that was I, I survived. I went through the Hornets' it, nest. His, your personality is a lot more like Gino's than it is Tara Vandeveer. For sure. But when you pick, if you're just picking just an absolute pure, just I'm just going for the basketball experience you probably, and it's not a, not, Tara is one of the greats ever, and others might view it differently. If it was just the pure basketball experience, you the go to crowds, UConn. you'd probably go to you UConn. You go to UConn. But when you pick Stanford, you're picking something a lot you're, bigger. You're t- picking That's a, a lifetime investment. Yeah. And to this day, like, I don't regret it. I wish we won the championship. Your freshman advisor was essentially dr condoleezza rice like those are the things that happen <laughs> i know you led me to it so it's funny um on my official visit i went and it was like the most lit nerdy weekend ever so we had chief justice john roberts there dr condoleezza rice <laughs> there like there's a huge football game and so if you're a nerd you're in heaven right somehow they finessed for me to go meet with the chief justice and dr rice and i was like that was great so i commit i go to stanford in my freshman year I don't expect Dr. Rice to remember my name or who I am because um, she's a huge ambassador. She, We beat UConn. Huge game. My fr- my job was to guard Maya Moore that whole game. I remember that was my one assignment as a freshman. And I was like, everyone's like, you know what toothpaste she uses more than don't you? Because I was stuck <laughs> on her. Um, and it was a huge one. One of the signature wins in the history of women's basketball. So much fun. And after Dr. Rice, she comes to every sporting event. People know that she's also on the college football playoff committee. She's also helping spearhead, you know, all the issues with the corruption and the M- NCAA with basketball. She's one of those great minds. She's a huge fan. Fan first. Great golfer, by the way. Every time we woke up and did uh, weights, she was in there doing weights for her golf swing, like 5 a.m. in the morning. She's she's a whole nother level. But um, she comes to the locker room, congratulates us. And I'm like just in there like, oh, wow, she's back. Like, it's amazing. And she stops on her way out. And it's like, Chanae. And I was like, oh, snap. She remembered my name. 
didn't you say you were interested in politics? I remember when you were here on the visit, you should come by and stop back so we can talk about it. I was like, say no more. <laughs> so the next day I called her office and within the, that week, um, I had a meeting with her and it's so amazing. Like you go to the Hoover Institute, which is like the primary conservative institute at Stanford, you go one office and there's another office and there's her office, which looks again like another presidential office. Met with her, amazing meeting. She inspired me to do international relations as my major. She gave me the confidence to finally speak up in class because despite playing on, you know, in front of millions of people, uh, going to Stanford, you know, again, we're athletes and we sometimes think, oh, what, like, why are we here? Well, granted, we all are here for a great reason and we are capable, but, you know, I was a little shy to give answers in class and she gave me the confidence to do that. She gave me the confidence to go study abroad in the middle of my um, prime time in college, which was like a taboo then to leave school for eight weeks when you're supposed to train 24 seven. Um, yeah, so she's been a great influence. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by Quip. One of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth. Yet most of us don't do it properly. Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers. Quip was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and even enjoyable. And if you're like me, you had a dentist years ago tell you you need to use an electric toothbrush. You can't just buy the soft bristle from the drugstore. You need a toothbrush that gets to every part of your mouth, gets to your gums. And Quip has been the best I've ever used. Quip uses sensitive sonic vibrations that are gentle enough on your sensitive gums. Some people brush too hard, and some electric toothbrushes are too abrasive. I've had a few of those, but Quip has been different. It's got a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides, helping guide a full and even clean. If you are a daydreamer like me, if you are thinking about a 100 other things, the Quip timer keeps you moving all the way through your brush. Quip doesn't require a clunky charger and it runs for three months on one charge. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist recommended schedule every three months for just $5. Listen, quite simply for me, Quip has changed the way I use an electric toothbrush. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash woge right now, you get your first Refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack for free at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Woj. I mean, just in this midterm election cycle, we have seen a breakthrough for women candidates at all levels. Yes. Is that in your future? Oh my gosh. That's like going from zero to 100. <laughs> I just live in the present and I love ESPN and I love uh, sharing yeah, my, I know. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm not yeah. giving you company lines. Like I, so to be here today, I had no clue that I would end up working full time for ESPN, um, being in the WNBA, even going back to when we, we never, like my sisters and I, we never sought out basketball. Like things have just happened. I got injured twice. I don't know if I've told you ever my specific injuries. I had a right knee microfracture surgery and left Achilles injury. So I get to the league, have a great rookie year, go overseas to Italy, and I have microfracture. I have to have microfracture surgery. Come back, rehab for a whole year and a half. 
And then I play again, come back season, great, go to China and injure my Achilles. And I injure my Achilles in a foreign country by myself on the road. But because of my first injury, and I got a super African mom, like that like superhero mom, she called all the doctors up. And within, I would say, 50, 56 hours, I was back from China in the States on the operating table, already done and healed. So I've had these crazy incidents in which I've realized that like basketball is not forever. And in the interim, because I was drafted to the Connecticut Sun, ESPN's in the backyard, opportunities came up. And I've just really, I think my whole thing is there are a lot of people who have preconceived notions about the WNBA. And no matter what we say, we can't, we can't win those guys over and hopefully we will, but our game stands, you know, for itself. For people that doubt it or even I bet you if there's listeners that were like, oh, WNBA player talking, that's the things we deal with 24-7. Like I love the game of basketball. I love the NBA and I know the game because I played the game since I was 10. I played a high level draft number one, but people don't care, you know, about that type of stuff. The reason why I, I am here like working with ESPN and sharing my voices so that people can understand that we have value as women, right? Just because I am not in the NBA doesn't mean I can't speak on it. And I feel like this is an issue that a lot of women have throughout industry, right? And as you mentioned, the midterms, I think women are starting to claim their voices, right? Um, and it doesn't come easy. Like every day there'll be some kind of shade on my post. You saw, you know, you saw this firsthand, the G League comment tweet that I put out. <laughs> and you, it was, <laughs> I just, I saw the tweet and I said, I don't think I want to look at the comments because I know what's coming, but I looked at it. But we're so used to it. Yeah, yeah. But I was actually surprised because I was, it was like 50 50. Like people were like, Hey, I'm here for this. Like I tuned into WBA players in the G League. (laughs) Meanwhile, the other 50 were just being ignorant, but it's fine. You don't have to care about the WNBA, but please like at least respect our craft. We're the best yeah. women's basketball league in the entire world. If you come to a game, you get that. But people speak on our game without even knowing it. And I feel like me having this great opportunity at ESPN to share my voice can hopefully open people's minds to understand that, hey, she does bring something to the table that is valid. And maybe these WNBA players, you know, I can understand and follow and support and watch their game because she's hopefully bringing a light to that as well. So when you ask me what am I doing in the future, man, I don't know. I don't I don't know, but I've just been following but, what's true to me. There's the idea of public office. I don't mean during your career. You can only – I don't think you can – if there's anyone who could you know, run for political office, work for ESPN. I can't. Stop. <laughs> play in the WNBA and do the jump on their off day, I it's you. But you've been around it. You've been around people at the highest levels in public service. You're around it. You're, and does the idea down the road someday, could you imagine it intriguing you? You know, I don't know what the future holds. And this is what I do, Oach. I I follow myself and my passion. So I am Nigerian-American. I am a female. I'm an athlete. And whatever is true to me, I just pursue. And funny thing is that now, you know, being Nigerian-American female athlete manifests itself into WNBA player that speak, you know, that's NBA. Like everything that I do speaks to who I am. So I don't know, man. I, if if the opportunity presents mm-hmm. itself later down, I, right. maybe. But at this point, I'm good. Love, enjoy. The WNBA, the collective bargaining agreement, is going to be reopened. The WNBA Players Association. You're on the executive committee. Your sister is the president. Yes. You guys want to go back in with the league and look at the salary structure, and you know. It's been talked about for years. You have the opportunity in negotiations to do it. What's been the thought in the league about 
listen, you know at times there's it's taken a while to figure out getting franchises in the right markets, places that support women's yes. basketball. I think initially there was a lot of in WNBA – well, we have an NBA team. We're going to have a WNBA team. Yep. And it may not have fit. And then you realize, well, where I thought the league really kind of took off was when you went away from just having NBA markets and say, okay, you know what? There is great interest in women's basketball in, in Connecticut. Connecticut. Absolutely. So we're going to put a team there because this is a fan base that is used and appreciates and supports women's basketball. You can right? say the same of Vegas and the casino yeah. culture and the sports betting world now. Like having a team there is valuable. To prove that you can have sports uh, in Vegas. It will not be an easy fight for you guys, right? Definitely not. On this one. Because they're going to say now whether they open the books or don't open the books, they're going to go, hey, you know, we've absorbed a lot of losses to keep the league going, to grow it, to thrive. I'm sure there's probably teams making – I don't – but I think it's more of a – I was we were on the jump and Stan Van Gundy said it and we were talking about it. And I thought Stan's point was maybe more – this is as much a moral issue – um, Absolutely. The league makes a tremendous amount of money. They can afford to, you know, I think you guys would like salaries that would allow you not to have to go overseas in the off season, be able to stay here, help further build fan bases in communities instead of everybody having to, everyone's going to go to Europe or Russia or China to go play. Others can stay and also work to grow the game in those marketplaces, right? Everyone doesn't have to escape when the season ends. Yeah, and, you know, I'm just going to be candid because we've talked around so much, and I'm just tired of talking around things. Um, when it comes to our CBA and the issues that WNBA players face, a lot of people say that, okay, when it, all you guys care about is increasing your salary. We're like, no, we don't. We want to enhance player experience. Now, there are certain issues that I find problematic. Like, for instance, we know we're the best women's basketball league in the world. People that come to our games and watch are like, dang, these women, these women ball. And it's great. But there's, again, a lot of people that speak on our league without even knowing it, right? So it hurts our, our value. To also have the league, whenever it comes to these discussions and negotiations, whatever it is, the first thing that they say is we've incurred losses, we've been investing, we're trying to do better. How are you going to sell a product when all you want to talk about is how much this product is losing? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how much this product is gaining. The WNBA actually operates in profit, right? We do generate profits at a league level. That's true. We do receive, I believe, $25 million from ESPN. That's great. That helps with those losses that you want to talk about so much, right? And – also, our streaming numbers are up. Um, our merchandising is up, I think, 66%. Our um, revenue is, is increasing as well, right? So there's so many great positive indicators, whether it's streaming or revenue or however it is, that our game is advancing. But the players, we sort of stay and remain the same. Our salaries remain the same no matter how this league is growing. To us, that's a little problematic. And when you look at the NBA players, they know exactly what their value is. Okay, what's your revenue share around? What is it, 50, 51%? 51, 51.49 is the BRI. Yes, and when, yeah. the, when WNBA players are playing 24-7 overseas and we have issues and we're like, what, what's our value? We can't even tell you specifically what our value is. That's a problem as well. So there's so many things that, um, you know, we are so proud. Like the reason why WNBA players play in the WNBA is not because of the money. 